Hello, welcome to The Film File, the film show for film geeks. Yeah, you guessed it, by film geeks. And this is episode 45. You're fired. Welcome to another show. And as ever, I'm Lee Ford. And I'm Andy Beacon. And welcome to The Film File, your film show that really is bursting at the seams with news, gossip, and just about everything geekable. I've just invented a new word, Andy, geekable. and geekable. Well, yeah, I think it's a decent word. Uh, slightly less politics than last week. Uh, when I was editing it, I was aware that we spent like about 15 minutes talking about politics. Oh, did, yeah, we entered into the politics zone, didn't we? Yeah. A brand new podcast. So let's stick with the film stuff this week, because there's enough to get through. Yeah, and in this episode, we are going to be getting through absolutely loads. As Andy said, we'll be bringing you all the latest news, gossip, and everything we've trawled from around the interweb. Andy will be talking about his reaction to Das Boot. We'll be giving you the big reviews across all the streaming services. And of course, we'll have neat things. But first, Andy, what is the news? Let's uh, start off by talking again about a very familiar topic. And that is, what is the state of cinemas going to be once all this COVID thing is over and done with? And Before you jump into that, Andy, I think we need a little sting of music that accompanies that because it has now become a regular feature. Maybe the funeral march. <laughs> yeah. When the vaccine kicks in, we, we're going to have to think of a new feature. <laughs> yeah. I've got to be disappointed once the vaccine kicks in because, you know, that takes away 15 minutes of the show. We're just down to news. To start with, Universal have now struck a deal with Cinemark, who are the third largest US theatrical chain operating at the moment. Well, I say at the moment, right. most of them are locked down, but you know what I mean. Um, the deal will allow them to release any of the Universal Cinema releases on home markets after 31 days. And this can be dropped to 17 days should a film not open with at least 50 million on its opening week at the box office. Okay. Uh, this is similar to the deal that, the, that Universal set up with AMC a few months ago that we reported on. And this only leaves the second biggest chain in the US, Regal, to work out some kind of deal and this is where we've been saying the future of cinematic releases is going to be it's no longer going to be a three, three month window it's going to be anything from a 17 day which is two weeks and last weekend or 31 days for everything with universal only universal have signed these deals at this point in time but i fully expect other distributors to follow suit how do you feel about it you're in the cinema hot seat how does that work for you in as, as regards a theatre? I've been quite open on my whole thoughts of this throughout this year in the I, I genuinely feel that the 12-week window is a thing of the past anyway. And even last year, yeah. before all this hit, I was very much a, like, a supporter of why don't we show shorter release window films? Why don't we show Netflix films? Why don't we show Amazon films, which come out two or three weeks after they get to the box office? And the industry was very stubbornly, no, 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 we need the 12 weeks, we need the 12 weeks. But I've always thought, you don't, because you've always got the people who would rather see something on the big screen than watch it at home. So I'm all for this. And yeah, I, I work for the cinema chain that has actually embraced this kind of methodology in the past few months anyway. And we, we realise that this is where the future of cinema is going to be. We have to accept that, you know, shorter release windows are going to be a thing. 17 days, 17 days is fine. If a film doesn't perform on its first week, the last thing that a cinema chain wants to be tied into is a 10-week exclusivity deal 
with a distributor, which means that that film's got to show for at least 10 weeks. We've had it with Tenet. We reported that Tenet cinemas had to show it for a minimum of 12 weeks. Now, if Tenet had bombed on the first weekend, that cinema's stuck with a screen that they can't use for anything else for 12 weeks. Now, thankfully, thankfully it didn't bomb. But we shouldn't be in a situation where cinemas could be held to ransom and be forced to use up screens for something that isn't selling. So if something doesn't perform on its first week, give it its second week. See if it gets some pickup from word of mouth. If it still doesn't, then fine. After 17 days, move it to video on demand. Let the distributors recoup some of their money through that avenue. Cinemas still have the option of showing it alongside it. But if it's not working for the cinemas by that point, there's no harm in them dropping it. And I guess, you know, we talking about the elephant in the room, which we constantly are, um, the changing uh, release dates on everything that's coming through. We we do know for a fact, we can't get away from it. Next year is going to be a pretty busy year. Yes. With all the delayed 2020 films, um, some 2021 releases, um, some of the stuff that was that was already scheduled to be released, which is still still on the list to to release on those days uh, and then we, as you mentioned we've got stuff coming in from netflix and stuff coming in from amazon as well to be shown and that means a pretty stacked cinema release so i'm guessing as, you, as you've just uh, just mentioned what we don't want to be in is a position where we've got a a, a five-week run of a film that's failing and to to get all this um, all this content through people into the into the screens and then bump it out if it's not 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 succeeding, or yeah, and just having that availability for for space because you're going to have an awful lot of content for us to get through. Yeah, the, it's it's going to be a huge bottleneck of films by the time things start getting back in track, and most big releases will literally only have two weeks before the next big release lands on them. And normally this happens for like a one and a half month period, usually July through to mid August. You get a big big hit comes out every two weeks. We could be potentially seeing it May through to September. We need to keep the momentum going. We need to keep having the option for dropping things and bringing other things in. And we don't want to be tied into long release windows. So I'm all for this uh, shortening down. I'm glad that Universal are being proactive with this. Whilst it's obviously caused some initial upset when they started doing these talks without involving other other exhibitors and other distributors, at least the talks have started to suggest where the future of the industry is. And it shows that Universal are still committing to some kind of cinematic release. It's just that they have a cinematic release that they can react to if it doesn't perform as they expect. Okay, good. What else have we got? Moving on. Um, On related notes of things getting put back and Universal, uh, the rights to Universal's Tom Hanks Western News of the World has been snapped up by Netflix for the international markets. That's interesting. I thought I thought that was going to end up on Apple for some reason. I don't know why. It did seem at one point that it was the kind of film that Apple were going to be circulating around. But no, Netflix have managed to grab it. Universal have kept the domestic rights to it for the US. And it's Paul Greengrass who's made this film, which follows a veteran of three wars, Captain Kidd, who moves from town to town as a storyteller. In one town, he meets the 10-year-old Johanna, who was taken in and raised by the Kiowa people six years earlier. And he agrees to take the child and deliver her where the law says that she belongs. There's no word on when Netflix plan to launch it internationally at this point in time, or if it will get a limited cinema release first. Ooh, that'd be nice. I suspect that such as the big key tentpole Netflix films that they've had recently, Netflix will agree to have like at least a two week 
release window for a limited cinematic release. I'd like it to because it does look yeah. like a beautiful film. And I love a good western, and, and Tom Hanks has never done western, so yeah. And that, neither neither Greengrass, to be honest with you. No, no, that's true. I wonder if he'll have his usual style. Yeah, shaky camera, hopefully not. But um, in, interesting combination. Sticking with Netflix, and Judd Apatow is making a pandemic comedy for Netflix. And why not? It's all the rage at the moment. Oh, it, it is. I mean, th- this one will follow a group of actors during the pandemic who are in a bubble trying to finish a film. There's no cast announced yet. But the word on the streets is that Netflix are moving fast on this to catch the current zeitgeist about pandemic movies. Is that what it is? It is. A zeitgeist. It is now. (laughs) (laughs) And it intends to have a large ensemble cast, which is being compared to the kind of cast that you see in films like Knives Out. I'm I'm putting money on it now. James Franco will be in it. (laughs) Well, if Joe Dapato is involved, clearly. Yeah, Seth Rogen and James Franco are well known for both being quite well connected to Judd Apatow, and it would not surprise me to see both of those in there. I'd expect to see a cast similar to what we saw with This Is The End. Yeah, I never saw that. I always planned to get around to see it, but hey, before the end of the world, you can only get so many films in. It's one of those films that when I first watched it, I was like, eh, was that it? And then I watched it again, I was like, I'm actually starting to enjoy this more. And I've watched it a few times since, and it's now one of those regular joys that you go back just to watch a Hollywood cast mocking their own personas. And that's what you take from the film. Self-mockery, always up for it. So what do I hear about? There's a new director for uh, an upcoming Transformer film. There is indeed. Stephen Gable Jr. is the top choice for tackling the robots in disguise. Now, he was the guy who directed Creed 2 a few years ago. And whilst no plot details are available as of yet, and no idea whether this is going to be directly linked to the Michael Bay films, or thematically moulded from Bumblebee, which was kind of a soft reboot, or be a whole new soft reboot. But for me, Bay not being behind the camera is clearly a good thing. Yeah, I got so... It was a headache-inducing, the the final few um, uh, Transformer films under Bay. I thought Bumblebee was fantastic. I thought it was a lovely film. Uh, And it had everything that that the Bay films didn't, which was predominantly heart. Charm, heart, and characters. And no frenetic cutting. Um, so yeah, it looks like. I mean, I guess with Transformers, you you can do a soft reboot every now and then and and, and get it back on track because there's a new audience coming through for Transformers every time. Yeah, and you know it's had soft reboots in animated form on TV multiple times, each time kind of nodding towards the previous generation, but then doing its own thing. So there's no harm in doing it on the big screen. And uh, I've got a little spin-off from that with another Michael Bay produced effort which is songbird okay i've been hearing rumors about this i know there's a there's a trailer out uh again pandemic based i believe yes uh this was filmed during lockdowns and it's the first movie that was shot in la in the middle of the pandemic it's set in a few years from now where the covid 23 virus has wreaked havoc on the earth's population and the lockdown is now stretching into year four The infected are being forced into quarantine camps, and within this scenario, one person who is believed to be immune to the virus has fallen in love with an artist who's believed to be infected. Now, this was initially planned for a cinematic release, but obviously, with the way things are going, nothing's going to get a cinematic release at this point in time, and it wants to, again, tap into the zeitgeist. It wants to tap into the current moment, because it's set during the pandemic. So, it's shifted over to a premium video on demand, for just under $20. Okay. The release date for streaming is December the 11th, so that it's just going it's literally a month away. 
What it's going to get in the UK at this point in time, we don't know. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if there's an, an audience for pandemic films. I, I think there still is at the moment, but I think with the amount of pandemic films that are getting churned out, people are going to grow tired of them. Yeah. I think there's still that little bit of like, this is quite unique and something, you know, it's tying into what we're relating to at the moment. Let's see how it goes. But there's only so much you can push that. And maybe, just maybe, they're pushing it a bit too far. Okay. Let's see. So, more direct news uh, with our favourite horror author, Stephen King. Oh, yes. Uh, we, lo- we love some Stephen King news. And this we time, do. we've got Lynn Ramsey, who gave us You Were Never Really Here, and We Need to Talk About Kevin, great director, is going to be tackling The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. It's one of the Stephen King novels I've not read. Ditto. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I thought you were going to go, you really should leave. For Stephen King fans, we quite frequently turn around and go, yeah, we've not read this one. There's 5,000 Stephen King books. There's not enough years in my life to read every single one of them. But this one follows a 12-year-old girl called Trisha who gets lost whilst taking a hike with her mother and brother on the Appalachian Trail. She only has a radio for company and starts to fantasise that the Boston Red Sox picture of the title of the film and book is going to save her. But something else is stalking her through the woods. Something potentially deadly. Sounds like perfect Stephen King territory. Yeah, and from what I've read about it, it's Stephen King with a touch of psychological thriller and horror aspect in there, which we need to be talking about, Kevin, and you were never really here. Let's be honest. Great, great choices. So a great directorial choice with Lynn Ramsey there. Excited to see how this one goes out. Probably going to read the book before the film actually gets made now. Because as soon as something goes into production for film, I'm then interested to go, right, I want to compare it. I want to see how it lives up. So I need to know the source material. So this always gives me the motivation to go back to Stephen King books and start reading them. Andy, it's only been a week, but is there any superhero news out there? Oh, there's I'm all. I'm sure there must be. It's only been a week. Well, we know that at least one of the Guardians of the Galaxy has now been confirmed to be appearing in Thor, Love and Thunder. Which yes, kind of makes sense because Thor has kind of buddied up with the Guardians over the Infinity War and Endgame. So it makes sense that he would still be hanging around with them. Chris Pratt is going to be back as Star-Lord. That was confirmed. And confirmed just in the past 24 hours is that Vin Diesel has just landed in Australia, ready to allegedly be involved. He normally only lends the voice to Groot. So it's curious as to what his inclusion on set's going to be. But the timing of his arrival in Australia fits perfectly with a two weeks quarantine in a hotel plans before the production takes yeah. place for the film, which is starting in two weeks' time. Hey, this was all over Twitter at the weekend, and I've done my research and can't find anything anywhere. I just wondered if you'd heard this rumour about Keanu Reeves returning to Constantine. Did you hear that? I've heard these kind of rumours a few times over the past couple of months, but until I see something yeah. actually confirmed i'm just taking it with a huge pinch of salt there's yes been, it's been speculated so many times over the years that he would return to it and he said in interviews that he would gladly return to it and the first the film did okay and it had a very good reception it did i i liked it you know it's funny enough you know when you put those films aside and you go I've, I've, there's something i want to rewatch, and constantine has been kind of knocking on my mental door going watch me watch me and I didn't, I didn't dislike it at all. Uh, I mean, at first you have to get over the fact that it's Keanu Reeves instead of uh, Paul Bettany, yeah, for want of a better term. But 
as a film, as a standalone film, I, I don't dislike it. It's got some great visuals to it. It's got a compelling story. I would go back and 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 accept Keanu Reeves. They did a neat thing in the um, in one of the comics that they had all these alternative universes where all the different Constantines were, and there was an LA-based Constantine who looked surprisingly like Keanu Reeves. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's one thing that I love about the comics when they explore those kind of things is they occasionally throw little nods and references to make something almost canon. Yeah. In other superhero news, so there's been a lot of rumours and speculation about Black Panther 2. Yes, and, and I'm glad we're going to put this one to bed because I thought it was a little bit, um, I think it was a little bit below the belt and unnecessary, and it clearly it started in, in the world of fandom. Yes, the Marvel Executive Vice President, Victoria Alsonso, has shot down all rumours that the plan that they're going with is a digital Chadwick Boseman. In her words, there's only one Chadwick, and he's not with us. Our king, unfortunately, has died in real life, not just in fiction. And we are taking a little time to see how we return to the story and what we do to honour this chapter of what has happened to us that was so unexpected, so painful, so terrible. We have to think carefully about what we're going to do and how and think about how we're going to honour the franchise. She, When asked whether they would use a digital stand-in, she categorically said no. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And I didn't think they would. I thought it was just an unnecessary rumour. The, the 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 rumor that's gaining better traction, getting a good response, is the 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 moving of Shuri to be yeah. the new Black Panther, which the comic book fans are embracing because she was in the comics and she like she was such a great actress on screen and she conveyed that character so well that even non comic book fans think, you know what, I can see that. So it remains to be seen what they're going to do, but at least they're not going to go down the distasteful route of digitally mapping his face onto someone else's features to keep it going. It's funny, isn't it? Because they're in an unenviable position of just trying to do the right thing to the memory of Chadwick Boseman and create a good piece of entertainment as well. I mean, do you recast? Do you go the Shuri route? Um, do you find a new Black Panther? There are, there are several alternatives. Yeah. And whatever they're going to do is going to be met with you know, toxic fandom somewhere because it's not what a certain group of fans wanted. So I, I, I think they're in a in a sadly, and it is it is an incredibly sad situation. And I, I think we talked about it. You know, somebody passed who we didn't know, but yeah. we all felt involved with and, and to carry on. Yeah, absolutely, to carry on that legacy and for them to do it right, they're, they're going to frustrate some party. You, it's just inevitable slightly related to the black panther news uh, because michael b jordan uh, was brilliant in the black panther film well he's going to be in a tom clancy adaptation uh, without remorse which is now heading straight for amazon okay i, I like michael b jordan can watch him in anything except the fantastic four yeah, let's let's pretend that one didn't take place. I don't uh, think it really happened in this universe. Paramount have made the film, and we're intending to launch a new franchise with it. And it was going to. It's based around the character John Terence Kelly, an ex Navy SEAL turned CIA operative, who's the focus of seventeen Tom Clancy novels, and he occasionally assists Jack Ryan with his missions. Okay. Now, Stefano Salima is the director of the film, and it should feel right at home at Amazon, given that they've recently revived the Jack Ryan character for two two seasons so far of a pretty cracking TV series. I've heard it's good. Again, it's on that eternal wish list. <laughs> I saw the first episode and thought it was great, and then yeah. for some reason didn't follow it through. 
So it'd be interesting because I know that they were planning to do a new franchise. Now, maybe they could use the fact that they've already got Jack Ryan series existing on Amazon to slowly weave it in alongside it as part of the same franchise. Who knows? But great actor in a potentially great uh, CIA operative thriller movie. Now, when you look at your 2020 bingo card, there's one you didn't see coming. Deadpool and Free Guy actor Ryan Reynolds <laughs> has apparently acquired Welsh soccer team, or football team as we like to call it in the UK, the club Wrexham. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the most bizarre pieces of news from the well past few months. Uh, it's Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Okay. Who have um, both invested to save the struggling team, which apparently Wrexham was owned by the fans. It was a fan-supported right. club because they were so desperate financially. And it, he's got some love for Wrexham for some reason. It's <laughs> it's the team that he supports. And uh, so they've, they've both chipped in and bought them which has been wow. embraced by the fans who are loving the I fact that they've got like the publicity of like a Hollywood star behind them. And yeah, for me, I, I think it's possibly the, the most bizarre decision he's made since uh, having his mouth sewn up in X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm actually, you know, normally there's some banter at this point. I know it's just so, nothing about football. It's just um, such a I'm bizarre, thinking... bizarre piece of news that it just flabbergasted me. Well, when it popped up on the news yesterday, I was like, Am I in a different... Is this an alternate reality? What's going on? <laughs> who knew? Who, who knew that Ryan Reynolds would be a, a Wrexham FC supporter? Who fathomed it? <laughs> it's, it's probably right off him. That's it. He's dead to me now. <laughs> um, spinning back to superhero news, Wonder Woman 84 news. Uh, the talks are still ongoing for the film's release and no decision has been made as of yet as to whether it's going to stick its Christmas release date. There's two current options which are currently being bandied around. One is for it to continue to come out on Christmas this year, but with an option for it to go swiftly to video on demand via HBO Max early January in case it flops at the box office. Or two, just cancel the release date, push it back to June next year. Talk, Like I say, talks are still ongoing. We don't know what's happening here. I'll be very surprised if it does stay for December. Well, you know, here in the UK at the moment, we don't even know if... Christmas is going to be happening as far as, uh, as as far as it is traditionally. I'm kind of just thinking, put the whole Christmas thing off. Give us two weeks off in uh, in April. Yeah, uh, We'll do Easter and Christmas back to back and, and do it that way. And on other DC news, we've got new footage and a trailer and images for my favourite film that's already in the can, Honest Gov. <laughs> yeah, Zack Snyder's Justice League. The trailer landed today, today being... Uh, Wednesday. I've not had a chance to see it yet, have you? I've not, no. Uh, but it's very unlikely that I will bother because, you know, my feelings on this already in the can film. Yeah. <laughs> um, talking of which, though, um, the Green Lantern series from HBO Max will reportedly have uh, an, an adult rating on. This is not going to be a kid's series. It's going to be a hard-edged Green Lantern series. Yeah. That... And in, in other superhero news, um, you know there's this Batman HBO Max spin-off HBO Max are all over it, aren't they? All over DC at the moment. Yeah. Um, so Terence Winter, um, who gave us uh, Boardwalk Empire and the, and the rightfully maligned uh, vinyl, which was a great idea on paper, just never made it yeah. to, to the screen in that way. He was the showrunner, but now apparently he's off. However, he has been linked as showrunner to 
developing a Dial M for Murder anthology series uh, alongside Alicia Vikander, who you'll probably know as Lara Croft. So he's not out of a job for very long, is he? No, he's, he's keeping himself busy and uh, keeping himself delving into projects. No, I've seen the Hitchcock film, clearly, but yeah. uh, I, I don't quite understand how they can do it. But, you know, I'm a viewer. I'm not there to create the show. But I do like Alicia Vikander, though. I think she's great, and I, and I do think she's worth watching in, in everything. Yeah, she's a solid screen presence. So yeah. her, her presence and his presence behind the scenes are enough to at least tingle my interest. Yes. You never know until you've got it. Another young actress who tingles my interest because every project that she seems to be getting t- attached to is absolutely brilliant. And she's such she's so sharp and ahead of the game for her age. And that's Millie Bobby Brown, who is now lined up for another Netflix film called Damsel, which she is going to executive produce, similar to what she did with Enola Holmes. For her age, she really knows what her career trajectory is going to be, and she is delivering it fantastically. She's a powerhouse. She really is. Absolutely brilliant. In the new film, Damsel, she's going to be playing Princess Elodie, who's in an arranged marriage with the prince of a rival kingdom. However, she finds out that her rivals have a tradition of sacrificing princesses every year to a dragon. And so she finds that she must fight to survive against the fire-breathing beastie. It's penned by the guy who penned Wrath of the Titans, but let's not hold that against him. And it's directed by Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, who gave us 28 Weeks Later, which I actually thought was a pretty decent sequel. I did. I, I, don't, I, I don't think the problems with that film were in the direction. I think it felt like two films stitched together. And yeah. One film was slightly better than the other. And if it had it stuck with the one idea, it would have been an interesting film. But we had two two films in one, and they, they were battling for survival, a bit like the, the infected themselves. Yeah. Uh, but like I say, Millie Bobby Brown is going to executive produce the film herself, and this is this looks like she's setting up a whole career working for Netflix, because everything... Is it doing. true that she was developed in a lab by Netflix? I think she probably was. I think, I think some of the scenes from Stranger Things are actually part of her origin story. It's a documentary. I knew it. <laughs> So a quick roundup now before we uh, we move on to um, new things. What else have we got? I've got some directing news. Uh, John M. Chu is going to direct a live-action version of Lilo and Stitch. That's the guy who gave us Crazy Rich Asians. That's right. That Which uh, I only recently got around to watching and found it quite enjoyable. I've not seen it yet. I'm not overly convinced on Lilo and Stitch because I've, ne- I've never really been a big fan of the actual animated version. And I think that Stitch as a live-action version, will look absolutely monstrous. <laughs> <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen is currently hotly tipped to be replacing Johnny Depp in the Fantastic Beasts series. We don't have to go through that. We discussed it last week. Yeah, he's still in the oh, early negotiations, but I think he'll be a great bit of casting in a very lacklustre film series. Yeah. Rock the Dwayne Johnson is planning to bring a sequel to one of his most beloved outings to date, Scorpion King, because we've all been wanting that, haven't we? The film that launched his career, though. I mean, it's not going to be a direct sequel. It's going to be more a reboot. Apparently, it's going to be a new actor taking on the role, but Johnson is producing and is likely to take a cameo role in there. It's rumoured to be set in a contemporary times and be a reimagining of the character. So let's see how that comes across. Have you heard that Sylvester Stallone is to make a cameo in the new Suicide Squad? Oh, I, I'd, I'd read this one. It doesn't surprise me, given that he had this brief cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So he's obviously got a bit of a connection with James Gunn. And that's it for this segment we like to call The News. 
And uh, if you're enjoying the episode so far and you've not subscribed, the question is why? Why haven't you? We're not going to hold it against you, but really, why? All you have to do is hit the subscribe button and uh, leave a review and it will make us It'll make Andy and I very, very happy. And you don't want to see, you don't want to see myself and Andy looking miserable. No, you don't. Nope. Okay, so over the last couple of weeks, uh, well, especially since lockdown started, we have been going through, trawling through Andy's outstanding films. And what I mean by outstanding films, the films that he's never seen. Oscar classics, in fact. You mean outstanding that I've never got round to watch? Yeah, rather than you've seen some outstanding. <laughs> I've seen your film collection, Andy. There are some outstanding films in there, and then there are the others. There are films that he is missing in his uh, um, cinematic knowledge. But that's why we've got this show, because Andy has been, for the sake of you all, catching up with some of these films. And last week, I set Andy the challenge of watching the 1981 fantastic Wolfgang Peterson film, Das Boot. Columbia Pictures presents the Wolfgang Peterson masterpiece. It's an unforgettable adventure of lost men fighting a lost war on sea without pity. <laughs> when the world runs mad and leaders can't be trusted, when all that remains of human decency is faded memories, the hunters become the hunted. Hello! starring Jürgen Prachow, was released to cinemas and as a TV miniseries in 1985. So it's had different homes and there are different versions available. But Andy, I believe you've seen the cinematic outing rather than the extended version. It's an epic film and epic is an understatement. It's the runtime that I think has put me off getting around to watching this. Uh, but I decided to dive, dive, dive right in with the director's cut, which got released four years after the initial cinematic release. Okay, so that's elements of the miniseries as well in there. Yeah, it's three hours and 27 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I, I've only seen the theatrical version. So the film it tells the story of a German submarine that patrols the Atlantic Ocean during World War II, manned by a crew that must contend with tense conflicts and long stretches of confined boredom. With a war correspondent, Werner, played by Herbert Grunmeier, observing the day-to-day -day life aboard the U-boat of the grizzled captain, Jürgen Prochnow. Th this is one of those war films that I find really interesting because it's easy with a war film to fall into the cliches of here's the good guys and here's the bad guys. Yeah. And when it comes to World War II, the Germans and the Nazis were the bad guys, yeah? Yeah. You know, it was to some extent, it was that black and white. But if you've seen this film, that's what's interesting about it. Yeah, I mean, war films can be tired and cliched. And thankfully, this film serves the setting well. And it gets you to engage with a crew of characters on the opposing side. It shows the opposing viewpoint of the war from a side generally thought to be the bad. And it offers something unique and fresh. And it, over the three hours and 27 minutes of watching it, well, literally within the first 40 minutes, I cared for these characters. I cared for these people who I would generally be thinking of as the bad guys in a film. Yeah. Because totally they are human. They are soldiers 
in a war with a wide array of views on how they really feel about it all. You've got the devoted, like, Heil Hitler character in there who, like, thinks that everything that the, the Germans are doing is perfect. But the captain himself is kind of grizzled and he, he's, you know, we have to do this. This is our job. And he doesn't really care for the war and he doesn't care for the ideals. And there's lots of moments of the downtime of the crew where they are just talking about their thoughts on how the war's progressing. And it gives them a human edge that makes you care. It's it's a war film that's character driven, but it is it's incredibly tight. It's it's breathtaking. It's claustrophobic. It's, it's almost a subgenre of war film, the submarine film, and and uh, and this is probably the best. And there are some good uh, war submarine movies out there, but this is the best. And you're right, Andy. You you don't think of them after a while as being being the enemy. You think about them as the guys that you're following through. Jürgen Proschow is absolutely stunning in it and, and probably his best performance. I mean, this was a hugely successful film, not only in Germany, but across the world as well. It had uh, uh, numerous Academy Award nominations, probably the highest for any German film. And it's it's just a, a fantastic, uh, a fantastic film that, that makes you think from the opposite opposite side of the war, what people were going through and, you know, the men on the mission. Um, I don't know if you know, it's an adaptation of Lothar Gunther Buchheimann's 1973 German novel of the same name. Uh, of course, you like the name of the same World War II, followed the German submarine in 96. Uh, and its crew, as they set out on a hazard of patrol in the Battle of the Atlantic. And the film depicts both the excitement of battle and the tedium, which you, you, you draw upon, of, of the fruitless hunt and shows the men serving aboard the, the ship as just as just ordinary guys, guys you can relate to. And as I said before, the fact that they're German gives it such an interesting angle and, and just their desire to do the best for each other, their peers, and, and of course their country. It's, it's, it's tightly, tightly shot. And this is, this is the film that, that basically put Wolfgang Peterson on, on Hollywood's register and, he, and he's done so much more since, but I don't think he's done anything. That's, that's as strong as this film. It's, it is absolutely a superb. The effects work is brilliant. The the, the dramas are so well shot. The the tense scenes are are, are exactly that. They're taut. Uh, the effects work, as I said, is is just second to none. It's, in fact, influenced Spielberg for the submarine sequences in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, absolutely it, superb film. The 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 setting of the U boat itself, it like it gives the claustrophobia, and the design of the interior is perfect. I mean, we've seen submarines on films, but we've never really felt the claustrophobic nature of them. And when they're initially setting off, and they're trying to sort out where they're putting all the food supplies and everything, you get to understand exactly how how confined that space was. There's yeah. one toilet for the whole lot of the U boat. There's nowhere to store things. There's only a, a limited amount of bunks, so they share bunks with other people, which leads to, like, if anyone gets an infection, it gets spread quite quickly, and it creates tension. And there's some marvellous cinematography in there with single-take shots going from one end of the U-boat to the other, whilst the crew are rapidly running to react to events going on. And it, when you think about the amount of work that went into perfecting those kind of shots, it's just, it's jaw-dropping. I mean, it's the kind of thing that these days we kind of take for granted because they can put some digital trickery to, like, disguise anything that doesn't quite work. 
but everything was done back then. And I did read something that they designed like like say, special camera rigs in order to make sure that they could get the movements right through the whole galleys. And we don't see a lot of moments off the boat. No, as I said, it's incredibly claustrophobic. So much of it is kept inside with the crew, and you only glimpse the occasional bursts outside, which makes us, the viewers, a part of the crew, stuck within that tin can underwater. And you start to feel the tension as, you know, depth charges are exploding. You're listening as much as they're listening for any sounds that are echoing through the hull because you are you are part of them. You are within there with them and you want them to survive. You want the bad guys to survive. That's the key thing that I need to keep coming back to is that he humanised the enemy in such a beautifully perfect way that it, it, it offered a fresh new approach to a war film. Wolfgang Peterson's attention to detail in the set conveys the real struggle and real fear of being trapped in a tin can deep underwater. And the crew and the cast who were in, employed to portray that crew are absolutely magnificent throughout. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not enough plaudits for it. It is a fantastic film, and the way it's dramatised, the way it's, it's constructed. And, of course, there's various different versions of it. There was, of course, the um, uh, theatrical cut, the 149-minute one. You said you saw the director's cut. Three hours, 27. Three hours, 27. And there is the... Uh, 300 minutes first, TV series. That was based on that. And there was a, a follow-up TV series with the same name, which was a sequel. Um, of different characters, but a sequel of the same name that came out in 2018. It's, it's had a legacy, this series. Yeah, the TV series is currently available on Sky. Uh, the first two seasons of that are available there. So do yourself a favour. If you enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed talking about it, give Das Boot, uh, definitely give it a go because it is a fantastic piece of filmmaking. It's a five-star film. I'm glad Absolutely. to hear that. I'm glad you liked five it. Five-star film. And after watching it, I immediately wanted to track down the TV series version, which I've seen is available on the... Uh, there's a collector's edition Blu-ray set that has... Yeah, the ultimate collection, versions. I think, something like that. So I'm going to be picking that up as a nice little treat for myself within the next few weeks and then immersing myself into a 300-minute version of the same film. Yeah, we won't see you for about three weeks then. <laughs> Simple as that. So your film for next week, and we've been giving it a lot of thought. There was a couple of choices. We've leapt ahead to the year 2008. And that film is going to be, I think, one of uh, uh, George Clooney's um, stronger roles. And I like Clooney an awful lot, but I think he's superb. And that's the film Michael Clayton, which was uh, nominated for Best Picture. So, Andy, for next week, go ahead, watch Michael Clayton. And you won't be disappointed, trust me. Fantastic. Okay, so over the last couple of weeks, we've not been back into the cinema, so there are no new cinematic releases for us to review. And, and I've had a quiet week. Every now and then I just go through a period where I go, you know what, nothing excites me, even though there's an awful lot out there to watch. And I, and I kind of withdrawn. And so this week I, I did a withdrawal, and Andy's been doing the heavy lifting of reviewing what's on your streaming services. In the new piece we like to call What's on your streaming services? We've got to think of better titles. <laughs> well, by the time we do, we'll be back to going to the cinema. Yeah, so, I can't uh, wait. Yeah. Um, so the first review that I've got this week is from our favourite low-budget, throw-a-lot-of-projects-at-a-wall-and-see-what-sticks production company, Blumhouse. Yay! You actually believed we were hunting human beings for sport, but you are. Are you aware that people believe this is a real thing? Everybody get it! 
It was a joke. Wasn't funny. The last I heard, free speech still exists. Don't First Amendment me. Why you? You must have done something. What kind of sick people would even think of something like that? White people. We're the worst. Uh, they've delivered a load of films this year. And The Hunt is one that was initially due out last year, but events in the real world left it a little too distasteful to release at the time. A certain president yeah. uh, complained about this film on Twitter that I led clearly to didn't... the film being pulled from what I believe. Well, it, there, there was shootings in America that um, it caused some connection to. And then that certain president, clearly not understanding what the film's actually about, started talking about the liberal agenda and attacked the film. And so it got pushed back to March this year. And then just as it got released in America, lockdown hit. So it wasn't given a chance to perform at the box office. So it was one of the earlier video on demand adopters and it generated its audience there. This, I'll tell you what surprised me about this film, Andy. That yep. It's actually written by our favourite, Damon Lindelof. Li- Lind- Lindelof and Coos. Who you'll know from, well, you know Lindelof from uh, Watchmen and their work together on Lost. Yeah, I mean, I, we've got a lot of love for Lindelof. <laughs> yes, I'm glad you didn't get me to say that. Try saying that five times over. <laughs> it's directed by Craig Zobel. And the, like you say, the screenplay is from Lindelof and Cruz. And it's a biting satire of modern society by way of a sometimes gory action horror. A group of people are drugged and awakened to find themselves hunted in an elaborate hunt game set up on an isolated manner. In a joyous reversal of expectations, the hunted are right-wing conspiracy nuts and the hunters are woke liberals. <laughs> this flipping of expected roles, which is what I referred to when a president clearly didn't realise what it was about, because he thought it was going to be, oh, look, you've got the gun-toting conservatives hunting down people and being shown as the bad guys. Because this film flips the expected roles, it allows the film to have fun pointing at the ridiculousness of the opposing politics and highlighting how alike we all really are and maybe some middle ground can be achieved. It's a stab at gun culture. It's a stab at amendment rights. It's a stab at QAnon conspiracies. And it's a stab at self-fulfilling ideologies. Those things where people say that something's true so much when it isn't, that someone eventually goes, well, we might as well make it true. The film is sometimes shocking and sometimes hilarious and sets the stall out very early on before slowing itself down a bit to focus on one particular struggle for survival in the guise of Betty Gilpin's crystal. And she is magnificent in this film. Oh, good. It's absolute fun. I thoroughly recommend giving it a check out. It's a short, just under 90 minutes bit of fun it can be embraced embraced on a surface level just as a black comic horror or you can really dig down deep into the political stab from it and it is a political stab from the middle ground this is not a woke liberal film it is not this is not a conservative horror film this is a middle ground politics film pointing out the hypocrisy of both sides and this is an example of why blumhouse are so important in filmmaking these days because they allow these kind of ideas to grow and gestate the interesting thing with this, and I saw some reviews, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to catching it, actually, is that I think people missed the point that it was a satire. And yes. uh, across all political um, political needs and wants. But I think the, the element that they, they sort of moved on from, that it was meant to be darkly funny, and, it, and I saw some quite scathing reviews for it, that after hearing uh, Lindelof talk about it, I think they missed the point. It's it's a cracking film. I'm so glad that this landed onto uh, Sky Movies this week because I've had my eye on it for a while. 
and I'm glad I've watched it and I do recommend everyone check it out. Cool. What else have you got for us? Now, this one isn't a satire. This one is something that we spoke about a few months ago when we were talking about Steve McQueen and he had his project called the Small Axe series. Yeah, this has been uh, developed with the BBC. I've I've got a, a lot of time for Steve McQueen. I've just finally caught it with uh, 12 Years a Slave and just never realised how good a film it is and how beautiful a film is for such a tortuous subject. Yes. Well, his Small Axe series is a series of five films focusing on the black experience in Britain. And the BBC worked in conjunction with him and apparently they're going to Amazon internationally. Right. And I had high expectations because I'm a big fan of Steve McQueen ever since Hunger. I, I think he's a powerful director who knows how to get the best out of his cast. He tackles sensitive subjects with care and grace. And so I've been buzzing waiting for this. And the first of the films, Mangrove, landed on the BBC this week. On Sunday, the 9th of August in North Kensington, a demonstration took place against the police, which degenerated into totally inexcusable violence. There may be some who believe that they have been the victim of injustice at the hands of the police. Others who, like parasites, feed on these beliefs and seek to turn them to their own advantage, deliberately creating hate and violence. These defendants are all guilty of the serious criminal offence. This attack on a black establishment is not an isolated event, but a sustained campaign against black people. And today we are saying enough is enough. And I'm assuming you weren't disappointed. Oh, I, I was heavily impressed. Mangrove being the first of the five, it focuses on the events surrounding the Mangrove restaurant in Notting Hill in 1970 and the trial that resulted after protest against police misconduct got heated. The Mangrove Nine, as they were to be known, included the restaurant owner, Frank Critchlow, Barbara Bees, Darkus Howe and Althea Jones Lacointe, all whose names became well known in the struggle for rights in the UK. I mean, Darkus Howe in particular yeah. became such a prominent name over the decades that followed as like a big talker, writer, a broadcaster, a presenter. You know, he was a huge, important, influential figure, all growing from this moment. And McQueen's film tells the sadly still so relevant tale of the events. And the cast are perfect. Sean Parks plays Franz Critchlow, the restaurant owner, and he plays the emotions of both the joy and good nature of the community he's part of and his fierce side as he defends the rights of his people in the face of police hostility and racial profiling that was quite prominent at the time. Malachi Kirby plays Darkus Howe, and he channels the essence of the extremely well-composed and sometimes poetic activist and speaker so well that you start to wonder at times if this is simply documentary footage being used. And then you come to Letitia Wright, who we mentioned in the news section earlier. Yeah, She's come into the public eye in recent years thanks to her scene-stealing moments in Black Panther. Despite her having had a variety of TV and film roles since 2011, she's only in recent years really hit home. Anyone in doubt of her, her magnificence on screen only needs to see her striking portrayal of Althea here. She channels a fierce energy with composed brilliance. It's a stunning presentation and it's a film that's as relevant today as it was when the events were taking place. Similar to the recent film, 
Travis Cargo 7, which we both we did absolutely indeed. loved. And, you know, when you mentioned that, that was my, my sort of go-to. I was, I was thinking exactly that film. It explores very similar themes. It's 50 years on. We haven't progressed any great deal. The fact that both this and Chicago 7 explore such similar themes that are still both relevant is the only depressing thing about these films, that we've not learned anything in five decades. McQueen's presentation is as skilled as always. The courtroom scenes are engaging, and he's got a skill that you might have picked up in some of his films of using somewhat awkward and uncomfortable silences at times. He'll sustain a lingering shot over the threshold of comfort for all the best reasons. It allows us to digest the preceding moments and be forced into thinking about subjects we would otherwise want to quickly move on from. And here he uses the same method at a couple of key points. And as always, it forces you to spend some time in a little self-reflection on what your actual thoughts are of the moments. It's an essential watch. I can't recommend this enough. This is another five-star film recommendation this week. Fantastic. And if the remaining four films of the Small Axe series can even be half as good as this and half as powerful, they'll have done their job beautifully. McQueen has definitely secured his place amongst my top directors of all time list with this film. Brilliant. Absolutely essential viewing. People in the UK, you can watch this on iPlayer at this point in time. Well, uh, what a glowing recommendation. And uh, honestly, I, I, I don't think the right of alarm would have as convinced me as much as you have. For me to to catch that, and, and I I agree with you on McQueen. As I said, I've recently watched Twelve Years a Slave, and not you, that artistic eye that he brings to it, let alone how he just gets just brilliant performances out out of his uh, out of his cast is 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 worth it alone. So I don't have anything to offer. Um, what else is out there on Stream World? So over the next week uh, on Sky and Now TV, <laughs> everyone will get a chance to see what Fantasy Island was actually like. Now, I don't think this is as bad a film as people make out. It's not a good film, but it's not as bad as a load of people made out. It's a decidedly average outing from Blumhouse. But I know that you were interested in seeing it because... I was, like, just for the nostalgic essence, yeah. Go, go out from the nostalgic point of view and you might find something to enjoy because that's kind of what I got from it. On Netflix, everything seems to be festive nonsense this week. Yeah, I noticed that, which is not that I'm not a festival, you know, give me a good Christmas as much as anybody, but I just really wasn't drawn to any of the things starring either Kurt Russell or Dolly Parton that have just, just made. Uh, well, yeah, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square lands this week, which sees Dolly play a rhinestone angel who shows a small town Scrooge, Regina, the error of her ways by way of song. Sounds delightful? Mm, yeah, or maybe not. As the case may Alternatively, be. if you really hate yourself, you could suffer the Will Ferrell comedy Holmes and Watson this weekend. Uh, no, I wouldn't do that to, to somebody I disliked. Instead, for Netflix, if you've not already watched it, binge the recent series Queen's Gambit. It's an absolute treat. Yeah, well, I wanted to watch it. And here's a bone of contention. My, uh, my other half, she started without me. So I've got to kind of get back into it when she's finished watching it. Oh, I was so angry. Um, some good news that is coming up, though, is um, on Apple, the second season of The Servant uh, trailer landed this week. If you didn't get a chance to see The Servant, if you've not got Apple, then it's, it's the best thing that they've put out so far. Absolutely superb. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan directed and produced the series. It feels like one of his pieces of work. It was so engrossing. And at half an hour per episode, it was a must watch. So I cannot wait. For season two. Fantastic. Um, on Amazon, Military Wives lands on the 20th with Kristen Scott Thomas and Shavon Horgan in a feel-good drama. Oh, I thought that was a top-shelf thing, but I 
no, I think you're thinking Reader's Wise. Oh, right. Completely different thing. Uh, and I don't think they've made a film about that yet. Yet. There's still hope. And I'm going back to the BBC and either on TV or iPlayer, the second of the small axe films will be landing this Sunday. So listen to me about Mangrove, get that watched, and then tune in Sunday night to watch the second small axe film. Fantastic. Well, that's about it for this week. But of course, we can't wrap up any show without going through our neat things. What we've watched, listened to, uh, read, dreamt, you name it. As long as it's neat, we're going to talk about it. So Andy, your neat thing for this week. My neat thing, I've not got it yet, but there's only 48 hours before I will be joyously delving into the world of the PlayStation 5. Wow. I've just seen the new trailer for the Miles Morales Spider-Man game. It looks amazing. Oh, it it, it does. I mean, to start with, I'm not going to have any direct PlayStation 5 games except for Bug Snacks, which is the free one on PlayStation Plus. And I did this on the PlayStation 4, that I didn't actually have anything except for the free game to start with. But it's the excitement of a new console for me. And it's the excitement of it being backwards compatible with all the PlayStation 4 games and it enhancing the loading times and sometimes the graphics of some of them. And one of the games that I've mentioned on a previous neat thing was No Man's Sky. Right, yes, you have, yeah. And that had an overhaul for the PlayStation 5 that owners of the game will get absolutely free. So that's me sorted for the next few weeks. Yeah, I noticed um, the app, for want of a better term, on PlayStation 4 that is the connector for PlayStation 5 has landed. Um, yes. It, just in time. So, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm going to hold back. I, I, I certainly will make the move to PlayStation 5, waiting to hear some of the positive reviews uh, especially from yourself, and then I'll, you know, if you give it as good as the uh, Steve McQueen one, that I'll, I'll probably break down into tears and get it straight away. But, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to hold on. Looking forward to playing the Miles Morales game. It looks fantastic. Um, and mine's a connection to uh, PlayStation. I'm currently playing uh, The Last of Us Part Two. It came out earlier this year. Had a critical reception. Had a bit of a knocking from uh, The Last of Us Part One fans. But I've got to say, I'm absolutely loving it. The graphics are amazing. The sense of doom that went all the way through The Last of Us is still there. It's uh, it's a hard game emotionally to play. Uh, it's a film about revenge. There are some some absolutely surprising plot twists, which I'm so glad uh, I didn't read, and I'm not going to give any away now. I've read people who absolutely loved it, and I've read people who've absolutely hated it. But for me... I, I think it's fantastic. I am so into it and, and think it's it's a beautifully written piece of drama as good as anything else that's been out in cinema and on TV. And it's and, and that alone, that accolade alone, just, just makes it so worthwhile. It is, is a, a, a pure bit of fantastic creative uh, uh, creative endeavour, but I was going to say creative writing. Uh, I think it, it's so well done. The disappointing thing about it is not the game itself. It's been some of the, the fan reaction. Look, we're all allowed to dislike something. If you don't like the game, that's fine. If you don't like uh, any of the voice acting, which in, again in this game is, is is superb, that's fine. But this toxicity of a fandom uh, that was connected to the game is is so disappointing, and and I don't understand it. It's it's an anathema to me. So there's there's one particular character who does something horrendous. And she was getting death threats. Not the character, the actor. That's right. The actress who played this character was getting death threats for killing a fictional character in a video game that's not even a movie or a TV series. It's a game. And therefore, it's not even a real person. It's a group of pixels 
crafted to look like a human being and that's why the writing is so good because you care but death threats to the person who betrayed it it's at that level of toxic fandom is just ridiculous and it just makes me sad and it makes me sad yeah like you said you get the fact that some people will like something some people won't like it but don't take it to the extreme of blaming the people who are just acting they're just doing a role if you can't distinguish reality from fantasy to such a degree then maybe that's the reason why donald trump was in power for four years you need help because they are two different things and also the fact that okay so the game is let's be honest it, it it's gone in directions within the plot line which were an utter surprise and shocking but the nature so of what the, should. Uh, the thematic nature this is a sequel in in not only name only but in, in the theme of it and those who are familiar with the game knows what those themes are yeah and and, and things happen that that happened that, that surprised us and, and we hated not hated the game but hated to the fact that how these characters are now beloved to us um but there are some people out there especially on on the world of twitter and, and some of the fan sites who want to hurt the creator of it physically want to to maim him uh and are are, are just venomous andy and it makes me it makes me cross and makes me sad because you know what? We all can't like the same things, but it's the artistic endeavor that is the important bit. The fact that this game exists, I love it, and that's my choice and my review for it. And I will continue playing for the next few weeks. And I am having a, a wonderful time with it, which is a game which is making me think about the nature of of vengeance and violence, and that is a good thing. Okay, that's me off my soapbox. And that's it for this week. Andy, I will be catching you next week, no doubt. Yes. Anything you're looking forward to? Anything in the world that uh, you, you're ready for? It's just the PlayStation 5 for me over this next week. That's all my focus. I'm just going to be lost into a world of PlayStation. So in the words of Das Boot, how wrong they could be. The British have stopped making mistakes. <laughs> we laugh. See you next week.